Welcome to Healing the Spirit, a space where we awaken our creativity, deepen our connections, and remember who we are through the lens of astrology, archetypes, and art making. I'm your host, Jonathan Coe. Hello everyone, welcome to Healing the Spirit and welcome to this week's contemplation. So if you've been tuning in for some time, you know that my first and foremost invitation is for you to take a little moment here at the beginning and feel into your own body and allow yourself to receive this information from an embodied place. And in that way, you will be more attuned and more sensitive to what feels like your information and what feels resonant with you and uh, what doesn't even make sense to you, you know, or what may be causing dissonance actually in your body and um, to really take care of yourself in the process of contemplating the week ahead. So um, this is an episode where I will be sharing some of my own personal contemplations for the week of March 20th, 2023. And as always, we begin with uh, the overview of the week ahead. So on Monday, March 20th, Venus and Taurus will conjoin the North Node, and then Sun in Pisces will sextile Pluto in Capricorn, and then the Sun will be entering Aries. And on Tuesday, the 21st, uh, we will have a new moon in Aries. This is the first of two new moons in Aries that we will have this year. And this particular new moon in Aries is going to square Mars in Gemini by degree. Uh, not by sign though, and we will talk more about that. And it also will be sextiling Pluto in Capricorn. And... um yeah, I think that's all I'm going to say about that for now. I'll talk a little bit more later. Um, on Thursday, the 23rd, Pluto enters Aquarius. And on Saturday, the 25th, Mars enters Cancer. So this is pretty significant, right? Last week, um, we had a bunch of Pisces situations, right? We had some very serious Neptune um, situations with the Sun also in Pisces, Mercury also in Pisces, right? And then Venus enters Taurus and Mercury enters Aries. And this week, we have yet another astrologically packed week with the Sun moving into Aries, um, which happens once a year. So not a huge deal, but then it's really quickly followed by a new moon in Aries and then Pluto uh, shifting signs for the first time since 2008 and then Mars entering Cancer after having been in Gemini for um, seven or so months, right? So to say that this coming week um, brings some Actual significant changes would be maybe an understatement. And I'm not going to lie, when I first tuned into this coming week, immediately the energy I was sensing was the energy of the Tower card. Um, if you are familiar with the tarot, if you have a tarot practice, then you know the Tower card right? In the She-Wolf Tarot, which is one of my favorite tarot decks by uh, Devony Amber Wolf, um, 
It's called The Will of Mars, and I kind of want to read you what Devani wrote about The Will of Mars. Okay, here goes. The tower is the internal counterpart to the death card. Death means external change, and the will of Mars is what occurs when something within our core is triggered, leading to a cascade, a veritable domino effect of destruction. Mars is combative by nature, and so there is an element of conflict, of resistance, within the process of the tower crumbling. As mentioned, the tower itself represents our mounting identities and narratives about the I and what it means. So all of this leads to a rather eye-opening time of stripping away things about the I that we have thus far clung to. When we receive this card, likely something has occurred that has triggered the collapse of our identity, or perhaps also our worldview. This can be a scary time, especially if we have issues with control. We can easily go into a crisis of identity. For a time, it can seem that there's nothing to cling to. Nothing makes sense. But what is afforded at the end of the process, beyond the rubble, is ourselves. A much more in-tuned, aligned, harmonious I, whose internal narratives are no longer muddled by the restrictions of the past. This card is asking us to face the reality and trust the process. The tarot is an amazing tool because it helps us to be aware of the process that are taking place which otherwise may remain vague and nameless. The shadow aspect of the will of Mars is that we don't know what process is occurring, and we panic. We feel triggered. The pin comes loose. The notions of self begin to unravel, and we go straight into fear. The fear leads to destruction and compounds upon itself. When we undo ourselves or become undone, there's a fear that we will lose the eye or our minds. If we blindly destroy because we're in a panic, we may inadvertently validate this fear and say, see, I did lose it. It becomes a vicious cycle. Awareness is key. A shift in identity is not the end of the world, nor is it the end of us. So those are the wise words of Devani. Um, from the She-Wolf Tarot. And the question that I would invite us to contemplate for the coming week is, what do we do in the process of unraveling? What can we do within this heat of the explosion? When I think about this new moon in Aries, I think about how Aries is representing really the heat of our own aliveness, right? There's no guarantee or comfort or resolution in choosing aliveness. I've been in a container with one of my friends and teachers, Madison Nees, for the past six months. In fact, this Sunday is actually the last meeting for us. And Something that I've been learning from Madison, who is a practitioner of a modality called um, radical aliveness, is this very principle, right? That when we choose to be in our aliveness, when we choose to be in our humanity, there's really no, um, it's, it's not an insurance, right? It's not an insurance against pain. In fact, sometimes choosing our aliveness will bring us to the heart of that pain, right? And sometimes we learn something. 
Other times we just experience something and we don't really even know what the lesson is behind some of these pains that we experience from being alive. And the the point is to really sit with it, right? Really expand our capacity to be in that process of unraveling and feeling our aliveness within that unraveling. And the invitation, I think, is to get curious about the things that take you by surprise this coming week, right? Especially thinking about this new moon in Aries, both the sun and the moon will be answering to Mars, which is in Gemini, and that Gemini will be squaring the new moon, right? By degree, although not by sign. So it's interesting because, as we know, uh, Aries is a cardinal sign, right? So then the sign that is squaring Aries would be Cancer. And yet Mars is still in Gemini, right? It's basically traveling to that edge of the Gemini land, right? Getting ready to go into the Cancer land. And so this space between Gemini and Cancer is, I think, where we can really apply our curiosity, right? One way that I'm thinking about this is there's a difference, you know, between what someone is saying, the words that someone is using, words being an a Gemini, um, a Gemini concept, right? Versus the feelings that they are trying to convey through saying the thing, right? Feelings being a Cancerian thing. I've been thinking a lot about the practice of cultivating neutrality and how neutrality isn't really a state that we can find, right? Neutrality isn't really a state that we can uh, live in or permanently hang out in. Um, it's not like this solid, immovable land that we just find ourselves able to move to, but that neutrality is more about creating a distance between us and our attachment to particular outcomes, right? And these outcomes include the finality of things, right? Things end. We live in a universe where forms die, right? Whether that form is our body or whether that form is something else, forms eventually decay. And in that decay process, sometimes there are sufferings, right? So what does it look like for you to investigate your fear around your attachment um, to the form? And what you or your mind thinks will happen when the form gives way, right? When the form is transformed from um, one way of being to another way, way of being. I think there's duality here, right? We always have a choice, but it doesn't always feel like there's a choice. It's impossible, in my opinion, to actually be neutral all the time, to be that blank canvas, right? This is something that we like to uh, consider in modernity, right? In coloniality, we like to think that we can be this uh, objective party, right? When in reality, I think this is more of a practice of really giving ourselves the chance, the opportunity to see the bigger picture, right? 
asking where your attachment is and where your resistance is at the moment is a really powerful inquiry. One of my teachers, Deborah Kremens, always says something along the lines of, there's nothing you cannot do with a little bit of humor and neutrality. And I like this saying a lot because I think this is a really powerful invitation, right? This is the point of um, practicing finding neutrality, right? Cultivating neutrality. Not so that you can be done with your own humanity. Not so you can become this machine, right? But so that you can find the other side of um, the challenges that you find yourselves in, right? Finding laughter in the midst of the darkest shit. Finding your ability to appreciate the absurdity of life, of living, of aliveness. What if you sit in the discomfort of not knowing if something's going to work out? And to continue coming back to that approach, to continue to come back to that practice as, as play in a way that is devotional, in a way that's reverent. The sextile that this particular new moon has with Pluto, to me, reinforces um, this idea of welcoming decay, right? Welcoming decomposition, welcoming the shift of form. Remembering that if something is alive, if something has life force, it has energy, right? If it has energy, that energy can't really be vanquished. That energy can't really be banished from this universe. It can only be transformed into another form, right? It's also interesting because, again, the sextile to Pluto is by degree and not by sign, right? In this case, the new moon is happening in um, early degree of Aries, right? And Pluto is in very late degree of Capricorn, right? And so the sextile by sign would happen if Pluto were in Aquarius, right? And yet during the new moon itself, it doesn't happen by sign. Aries and Capricorn are naturally square by sign, right? So that's the tension between like life force and form itself. But in this case, I think there's actually a potential synergy, right? If we contemplate the collaboration between the life force and the form, and maybe in seeing the decay of form as a way to deepen our reflection, to deepen our contemplation around what that form was trying to achieve in the first place, there may be something there for us to really consider. So in the middle of the week, Pluto will also be dipping into Aquarius, right? So I actually did a conversation with my friend Verena Borrell, um, and I will link this episode in the show notes below just for you to feel into um, maybe a more comprehensive treatment, right? Verena and I talked for, I think, something like 90 minutes about, you know, all about Pluto and Aquarius, right? So um, there's that for you. But for now, here's what I will share. Pluto transits are slow. Pluto stays in one sign for about 20 years, give and take, right? And so it entered Capricorn in 2008. And so you can kind of feel into how this transit is not kind of a one and done, right? After it moves into Aquarius this March, um, 
it will also it, it will basically stay in um, Aquarius until May and then it goes retrograde right it starts to move back back into Capricorn and then turns direct again in October 2024 and it enters Aquarius again in February 2024 and then it retrogrades again in May 2024 before turning direct in November 2024 right and then finally it enters Aquarius for good in December 2024, at which point it doesn't really look back into Capricorn. So why did I bother going through all of that, right? To give you a little bit of a sense that we are really in a liminal space, right, that actually lasts for about maybe 20 months, you know, over a year and a half, right? So one way I think about this is in thinking about Capricorn and Aquarius, right? It's interesting to think about the contrast between the two. Traditionally, both are ruled by Saturn, but Capricorn is a receptive sign, is a nocturnal sign, while Aquarius is a proactive, a diurnal sign, right? Capricorn speaks to consciousness. Aquarius speaks to some level of action, right? And so bringing in the symbology, the archetype of Pluto, right? Pluto often speaks to our relationship with that which is unknown, that which is hidden. And in my own personal cosmology, which you may or may not resonate with, um, Pluto is really here to bring us gifts, right? Pluto is the ruler of the underworld, and the underworld is where a lot of resources like gold or various minerals are often stored. And so Pluto brings this invitation to look at what we've been turning away from, right? And in so doing, presents a choice. You can continue to look away and allow this to continue being a shadow, maybe part of the unconscious, or you can start bringing awareness, bringing some um, literal light into it, right? And see what comes up. My recommendation with regards to this particular transit is to not worry too much about what happens with Pluto moving into Aquarius, right? Because this is very much act one of the opera, right? It's not fully fleshed out yet what the lesson even is. You may not even know what the story even is. We haven't really experienced Pluto in Aquarius in our lifetime. So I like to really think about when thinking about transits or timing techniques, what are some of the things that I can be thinking about here, right? What are some of the things that I can actually be responsible for? What can I take action about and what can I not? Right? There are just some things that will happen during this transit, during this liminal period, that there's just no way that you're going to be able to foresee them. Or even if you did, there was nothing you could have done about them. Right, So um, I'm actually wanting to invite us to kind of review in whatever ways feel good. Right, You can listen to me say all of these questions and then you can think about it. You can reflect on it or you can just simply let it wash over you and feel into what comes, right? If it comes at all. I'm curious to hear what Pluto has taught you since its residency in Capricorn starting 2008. What has the ruler of the underworld taught you about the underbelly of existence? What has it taught you about shadows, about transformation, about destruction? When we look at 
some of the ancient mythologies surrounding the underworld, often things have no shape, right? People have no names. And so this idea of anonymity to me is really interesting when considering Pluto, right? What have we learned about the places and the areas of our lives where we're anonymous? What has being anonymous taught you about your existence, right? What have you been able to accomplish or accrue in anonymity that perhaps you wouldn't have been able to if you were known, right? If you were visible. So consider these things and allow that to be part of your contemplation for this coming week. So the last thing that I want to talk about is the difference of Mars in Gemini versus Mars in Cancer. And the reason why I think this is quite significant is because we are very early on in Aries season, right? When we when we say Aries season, we really mean the sun being in Aries, right? And so I think that the shift, you know, of feeling sun in Aries while Mars is in Gemini versus feeling the sun in Aries when Mars is in Cancer may bring quite a contrast, right? While Mars is in Gemini, there may be more playfulness, more weirdness, right? Gemini is a sign that is connected to randomness, right? Uh, kind of a childlike way of being. Maybe even there's access to honesty and directness, even if that honesty tends to be a little messy, right? Or maybe a little bit... Um, there's kind of a missed, missed quality to it. Like it, it misses the point maybe a little bit, but there's kind of an endearing quality of being able to be honest, being able to be a little raw and uh, messy, but that somehow it can still be really playful, right? Mars is what we call fallen in Cancer in traditional astrology. And so I kind of want to talk a little bit about fallen and exalted planets because one way to think about this is that fallen planets find themselves in a space of humiliation, right? Of being undermined. And while this sounds like a really horrible experience, this can also sometimes mean possessing some kind of power, like a very special superpower because everybody expects so little of you, right? Fallen planets can kind of be like underdogs. One way that I've been thinking about fallen planets, you know, especially Mars and Cancer, is if you have watched the uh, um, anime version of Sailor Moon, you may know that in season one, one of um, Sailor Moon's superpower is actually crying, that when she's crying, her headband emits these frequencies that um, ends up kind of repelling or defeating her her enemies, right? So when I think about Mars and Cancer, <laughs> I kind of think about that, right? That Mars, the planet of war, the planet of confrontation, the force of um, directness is confused in Mars, in Cancer, right? That there's a quality of tenderness that is a quality of um, a little bit of like a wishy-washiness to Cancer, I think. Not always, but, you know, there, there can be this um, sense of, you know, the, the Cancerian realm is one where we kind of get a little lost in the soup, right? It's the realm that is ruled by the moon, you know, the moon is always changing, right? There's no sure footing. Whereas Mars is usually um, what we call exalted in a sign opposite, which is in Capricorn, right? Where the ground is still, the ground is 
uh, charted, right? The path is clear. Um, in cancer, that's not the case. So I kind of want to talk a little bit about um, fallen and exalted planets because the other day my partner said something brilliant that I really want to share with all of you. In fact, I think it's so brilliant that I'll probably spend some time investigating this a little bit further so that I can write about it more intelligibly for maybe, I don't know, like a newsletter or a blog or maybe I'll share this as... Um, I don't know, like bonus content for all of you, right? Thinking about specifically uh, essential dignities and specifically exaltation and fall because exaltation and fall really um, is very interesting to me. I have a lot of, um, I have some exalted planets in my chart and I have some fallen planets in my chart as well. So I'm always kind of really intrigued by what they mean. So my partner was commenting on how there's this strange and maybe slightly arbitrary distinction, right, between the words um, or the term immigrants and expatriates. The reality is that both the immigrant and the expat are foreigners, right? Both find themselves in strange lands where maybe they don't speak the language, they're not fully fluent and conversant with the culture and the customs that they find themselves amidst. And, you know, it's also kind of weird to think about the negative connotation, right, of the word immigrant versus um, how being an expat is almost like exalted, right? It's interesting coming from a country like Indonesia for me because expats are treated like honored guests, right? Even though there may be a little bit of distance or belonging is not fully granted to them, there's still a sense of awe, there's still a sense of appreciation of maybe even idolization, right? However, I've noticed that in the so-called United States of America, we almost never even use that word, right? We almost never even use the word expat. We use the word immigrants um, as a technical term, but also just colloquially in conversations, right? And as someone who is an immigrant myself, it's kind of crazy considering what kinds of hoops one needs to go through in order to receive some level of um, actual, like, um paper level belonging, right? Status-wise for a person in America when they weren't born here. To me, this is really similar or there's some resonance here with the experience of exaltation versus fall, right? The immigrant is fallen. By technicality, they may come from another country where their family is respected, right? Where they may be received the highest levels of education, where they belong to a certain communities of real humans, right? That maybe uh, cared about them or maybe didn't care about them. Um, and they may have some skills that are really unique, right? That they can bring to this uh, new country that is... Um, not commonly found, you know, or maybe they have a perspective that is not uh, the consensus perspective, right? However, when one is labeled an immigrant, right, all that is, is in some ways erased, right? Even just that simple word immigrant, you know, brings one back to a blank slate, right? Or maybe even um, starting with a negative a little bit. One may have to prove how one can contribute to society when someone has an accent, 
right? Or maybe carries oneself in a way that isn't immediately understandable or palatable or can be put in the box that usually one finds themselves in, right, within society. It's interesting watching how immigrants are treated in America because you could be really smart. You could have these jobs or these skills that maybe even Americans aren't able to do, you know? And while you're really contributing um, on a very real level to the fabric of society, one can even argue the betterment of society, right? With those skills, you are still considered an alien. Like literally immigrants in the US by the USCIS are called aliens, right? (laughs) Which says a lot about this particular uh, world that we find ourselves in, right? If you live in the United States. On the other hand, um, let's take a country like Singapore or a country like Indonesia or a country like Thailand, right? Where a lot of expats, you know, are, are hired and then they receive a stipend, right? They receive an elevated social status. They had really, um, you know, incredibly high salaries, right? More than than um, local workers. And maybe, you know, there's even like an increased or an elevated level of desirability, right, within society. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting, right? Because I spent, you know, a, a very short period of time in Singapore. And it's kind of wild how expats are treated and how expats live this life of, in a sense, extreme privilege, right? And all of that is really based on perception and based on uh, the systems that are created to uh, acknowledge a person, right? Who Who is basically, they're both foreigners, the immigrant and the expat, or even, you know, to to even make this more extreme, right? The refugee is also just a foreigner, right? So it's really interesting. Anyways, back to astrology. The reason why I'm saying this is to kind of, I, I have a point, which is that the sun is exalted in Aries, right? So the sun is in a, it is in a place of honor. But when Mars, the ruler of Aries, moves into Cancer, Mars is fallen. Right. And so I think this provides a really interesting contrast, right? There is a little bit of a conflicting relationship here. The sun is an expat in Aries, but Mars is an immigrant in Cancer. So I'll just let that sink in for you. And I don't even know at this point how any of this is going to play out, but I think this is interesting. So I wanted to share, share it with all of you as um, a starting off point just to maybe collect some data, feel into what it's like to have uh, the sun in Aries while Mars is in Gemini, and then sun in Aries while Mars is in Cancer. Overall, I think what's important to share is that this week is for sure bringing some really major temperature shift, right? So my invitation to you, for you, is to really nourish your nervous system, right? This is simple, actually, but not easy. I would encourage you to start some sort of practice of some sort, right? And I know that I keep saying that if you've been listening to this for a while, but I really mean it. I think that practice is something that we um, come back to, even if it's something really small, like taking a shower in the morning or taking a shower at night, right? Or maybe lighting a candle when you're doing 
uh, your journaling work in the morning, right? That sounds really simple, but as you do it, it can really ground you through multiple changes that are moving through the collective at this very particular moment in time, right? And this can be really simple. Um, and some of you may have a strong reaction to this, so I just kind of want to say that because I even had a strong reaction to this when I was first uh, feeling into this, right? What, what do I want to leave you with here to think about in this coming week? Um, but let me just be your Asian mom anyways for the next few minutes. I just really want you to take care of yourself. Eat some good food, nutritious food, right? And eat regularly every day if you can, right? Um, try to sleep around the same time if you can make that happen. Very hard for me. Make sure you get enough movement, right? I'm not even a big fan of the word exercise because it feels so stressful and there's so much baggage to that word. So I've been thinking about it as just moving, right? And it's helped me a lot because even if I only walk for 10 minutes, that's already movement, right? Um, even if I go downstairs and sit under the sun for like five minutes or stand under the sun for five minutes, that's movement. Take baths if you have the privilege to do so, if you have a bathtub. If not, then maybe, you know, bring a little extra special ritual to your to your showering routine, right? Maybe um, bring in a scent that feels really nourishing to you. Listen to your favorite music, right? Play it through your phone while you're taking a shower. Do the things that really nourish you and feed your creativity. They can be super simple. Sing one song a day. Write one poem a day. Let that poem be bad, if that helps, right? Or let it be good, whatever feels good to you, right? Talk to a friend that you haven't talked to in a while, that you've been missing. And you know that I'm going to say this at some point, but I really love meditating, right? So if you have been thinking about maybe starting a meditation practice, I highly recommend uh, my friends in uh, the open app. They are amazing. Um, every single instructor there is just so uh, knowledgeable and so devoted to their craft, Um I even have a code that you can use so that you can try it for 30 days for free, right? I think that's a really powerful practice to start this week as Mars is moving out of uh, Gemini into Cancer. Um, and yeah, that's it really. My recommendation, especially if... Here's, here's my assumption, right? If you're listening to this, you have been following the astrology and maybe there's a fair amount of anxiety that comes with such a drastic shift, right? And my recommendation is for you to not overcomplicate life at this moment, right? When transits are kind of wild, a lot of wild things will just happen anyway. And so what does it look like to give yourself a little bit of extra space, right? If you need to get somewhere, get there 10 minutes early, if that's what feels good to your nervous system, right? Maybe a guiding question is asking yourself, what is the kindest thing that I can do for my nervous system at this moment? And give yourself that. All right, everyone, this has been so lovely. Thank you so much for joining me for this particular contemplation. I um, 
hopefully we'll be able to get to um, editing some conversations that I've been having with some friends and I will be sharing some of them this week. Um, and yeah, I'm just so glad that you're here. If you've been enjoying this podcast, if you've been enjoying this particular episode, um, my request is that you consider leaving a review or leaving some five stars on the podcast app that you find yourself in. It really, really helps. It helps uh, this work gets extended out and it helps other people that you may not know, I may not know, find this work. It's really, really helpful. And I'm so, so grateful if you are considering doing that. Okay, until we meet each other again, whenever that may be, I am sending you so much love and um, I hope you take good care of yourselves. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.